0: Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where I talk about Jesus, Christianity, and basically anything along those lines. Um, we are finishing up the Thessalonian letters this week. I'm really excited about it. This is our 15th week in these letters, um, and it's it's just been it's been a really eye-opening study for me personally. You know, I'm the guy teaching it, but you know, I'm I'm learning as much as you guys are sometimes. It's it, and I'm hoping that this this entire experience really helped you grow deeper in your understanding of. Of maybe the end times, of maybe church morality, of maybe church function, um, but most of all, I hope it just draws you closer to God. And so we're going to finish up um, the Second Thessalonians letter today. Next week, we're going to be starting into the Johns, First, Second, and Third John. So, just a quick recap on the context of the Thessalonian letter, since you know it's been a while. Um, these are some of the first letters that we have from Paul. As a matter of fact, they are the first letters we have from Paul, we're pretty sure. Um, and, but this took place on Paul's second missionary journey, and Paul went around starting churches amongst Gentile communities, and after he would start them up, he would write letters to them. Um, and the Thessalonian church in Thessalonica, modern-day Greece, Thessaloniki's the name of the city, uh, he got run out of town pretty quick, and so he didn't get it stay and establish the church the way he would have liked to and so he gets run out of there he gets run out of Berea he goes down to Athens he leaves there he goes to Corinth um so we're talking a little while after he was in the city uh he's already sent back an assistant named Timothy Timothy's brought back a report and that's what these two letters are he sends one letter and then he gets reports back that there's some misunderstandings and some issues coming up and so within a couple weeks to maybe a month he writes the second Thessalonian letter and that's where we're at um and so we're getting to the end. In today's section, we're going to cover that big problem, uh, that, that big issue that's, that's being reported to him. That's, that's what the focus of today's letter is. And then the final greetings, the saying goodbye, basically, the sincerely Paul kind of deal at the end. Um, and so let's get into this. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. So verse 6 to the end of the letter. So, this is what it said. Let's get into this. It says, Here's a command we have for you, my dear family. In the name of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, keep away from any member of the family who is stepping out of line and not behaving according to the tradition that you received from us. You yourselves know, after all, how you should copy us. We didn't step out of line, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. We worked night and day with labor and struggle so as not to place a burden on any of you. It wasn't that we don't have the right, it was so that we could give you an example for you to copy us. And indeed, when we were with you, we gave you this command, those who don't work shouldn't eat. You see, we hear that there are some, of, some among you who are stepping out of line, behaving in an unruly fashion, not being busy with real work, but just busybodies. To people like that, we give this command and exhortation in the Lord Jesus the Messiah, do your own work in peace and eat your own bread. As for you, my dear family, don't get tired of doing what is right. If anyone doesn't obey our word in this letter, take note of them. Don't have any dealings with such a person so that they may be ashamed. Don't consider a person like this an enemy, but rebuke them as a member of the family. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, am sending you this greeting in my own hand. This is the sign in each letter of mine. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus and Messiah be with you all. So let's make sure we put ourselves in context, right? Uh, again, with the, the external context, there's a problem that Paul has heard about after the first letter was delivered. Here it is. And we're going to talk about what that problem is and why that problem is and how do we fix that problem because we still face it today. Uh, but the train of thought is Paul has transitioned to this final exhortation part of the letter. Like, this is the final thoughts. This is, you know, I've got it. This is, this is the last things he wants to make sure that, that they get across. And last week, Paul asked for prayer. So that's a, that's a common part of this part of Paul's letters. And I've said part too many times but at the end of his letters he he requests prayer and he requests things and he also makes final like commands and advice and, and exhortations and stuff like that. So this week we're looking at a problem. Now, tug of war is probably one of the most common kids games. I remember playing it at field day in school growing up, you know, they'd have each of our classes would would, would go against each other and whoever could pull the other team across the line won. Um, I remember watching a TV show a while back about, uh, I really don't know what it was called, but it was about four of the strongest men in the world. Four strongmen. And if you aren't familiar with strongman competitions, it's kind of like weightlifting except for they don't use weights in a sense. They do more real-world kind of feats of strength, so they'll lift, like, huge boulders over and or put a bunch of them up on a pedestal, stool, or they'll throw a keg over a bar, and whoever can throw it the highest wins, that kind of stuff. Just stuff that takes crazy amounts of strength um, to do, but it's not just... You, you can't train for that specifically. You have to be just kind of all-around strong. And they took four of these guys who are world champions or, like, close to it and just insanely strong. I mean, these guys are all enormous dudes three four hundred pounds of of muscle just brutes and what they did on the show is they went around to like cities and they'd, they'd go do tours and highlight the city and the places and but they'd end up like doing competitions of strength in that city based on some strongman contest in its past in one episode they go to scotland and scotland being famous for the highland games the guys all compete in highland games um and one of the the highlights of the Highland Games is a tug of war, and so you have these four dudes who are just monsters. I mean, humongous. Over like one guy's like 6'8", four hundred pound. Like they're all huge guys who are you know objectively some of the strongest people on the planet, uh, and they go up against a group of Highland competition guys, you know, wearing kilts, um, and they play t- they 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 do tug of war, and it's it's kind of crazy because. Despite the fact that those four guys were objectively stronger, they couldn't win that tug of war against those guys who were so much smaller and so much weaker. Why, were they, why, why not? Well, it comes down to strategy. It comes down to the, the smaller guys had a strategy. They were specific about how they placed people on the rope. They were specific about how they grabbed the rope. They were specific about their feet. And most importantly, they were specific about how they moved in unison. That is the problem that Paul is talking about, that w- churches that try to be like the strongman, everybody operating on their own strength and moving under their own guidance, their own direction, they're not united in movement and strategy with everybody around them, that church is weaker than the world around us. That church is, is prone to problems, whereas if a church is united in, in the way that they're stepping, the way that they're moving together, the way they're living life together, Well, that's a healthy church, and that's what we should all be striving to be, but Paul is saying some people are stepping out of line. You know, some people are out of step. He says that in verses 6, 7, and 11. I kind of tried to make a point to emphasize it as I read it, but they are stepping out of line. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to step out of line as Christians, and what did it mean for them specifically 2,000 years ago? Well, here's the thing that you got to know about a church. A church is supposed to operate as a family, and for our world today, that, that word has lost a lot of meaning. You know At best, we think it's the nuclear family you know, mom, dad and 2.5 kids, or whatever it is. But that's not what family would have meant to them 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean. Family meant something much, much different. It really focused more on an entire group of kin people who related aunts, uncles, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, cousins, everybody's mutually supporting each other. I mean, you're getting back to some essential concepts within the Bible. If you remember our studies on um, fictive kinship, you know, the idea that's what a covenant is. It's it's the only people you could trust were your family, but you needed to trust people who weren't family, so you created covenants. this fake kinship with them. Um, But it wasn't fake, really. It acted out as real kinship. But you had to create family where there wasn't any. Like, this is a foundational concept in the Bible and the way that the people in the Old Testament and the New Testament operated. Family was everything. And the church is supposed to operate as a family, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Paul said in the first letter, he ta- He said in verses 9 through 12 chap- of chapter 4, he said, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So Paul over and over in this letter, in the second Thessalonian letter, in other letters, he talks about agape. Uh agape is a word we talk about in church, which is it means love, but it's the love that's not dependent on the person you're loving. It's it's entirely your choice. You're choosing to love each other. Um but it can't just be an emotional connection, it can't just be friendship, it can't just be a spiritual connection. Agape love is is also financial. You're You're holding, you're taking care of each other emotionally, physically, spiritually, and financially. That's the way a family is supposed to operate. Now, at this point, Paul is writing to a church, and he's telling them that they have to take care of each other financially, um, as well as in every other aspect, if in every other aspect. That's the way they're supposed to operate. Right? And that's the way churches are supposed to operate today. We're supposed to take care of each other. We can't, if somebody can't work and can't make ends meet, we as a church, their brothers and sisters, are supposed to take care of them. Um, and it's important to know, though, that the Jerusalem church in Acts, they held everything in common, right? They were kind of more communal in the sense of nobody really retained private property so much. Everybody kind of held their property in common with the church and everybody shared everything um, but after the persecution that happened from Stephen's execution, um, that kind of went away a little bit. Um, that doesn't mean that there weren't pockets of that, um, but by this point in the non-Jewish churches, the Gentile churches, uh, that wasn't the way they were operating. Paul didn't say they needed to. They didn't need to sell their property and hold everything in common. People had their own houses. People had their own stuff, but they were required to care for each other financially, Right. That's what family did back then. So uh, let's make sure you grasp this that you have a community of people who are facing persecution who are united around the cause of Christ. those people are taking care of each other financially. If somebody has need, those needs are met. You have time you have some system where people are being taken care of financially you will have people who mooch off it. You have people who abuse that system. And people who work that system just for their own selfish gains, moochers. That's the problem Paul is addressing. People who are not working, who could be. You know, the church is is designed to to provide for people who can't work, but but if you can work. Paul says, you, you need to work. And he he doesn't just say that. He lived that out in front of him. He says in this passage that when he was there, he worked. He worked as a tent maker, if you remember from the context. Like, he, he did manual labor with his hands to earn his own living. He could have demanded that they take care of him, and it was his right as an apostle, right? He was sent with the authority of Jesus. He had every right in the world to say, hey, why don't you guys give me a place to sleep and pay for all my food? But he didn't. He went... And, and provided them example that said, hey, I'm gonna work. And, and to be clear, Paul isn't this isn't Paul saying that it's wrong to pay church leaders. I know this can be kind of seem like hypocritical of me you know talking about this being a church leader who gets paid myself. But I mean he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and then 1 Thessalonians 5:12 through 13 like you don't muzzle the ox, you know you pay people what they're worth. Paul isn't advocating that, that people shouldn't get paid, but what he's saying is I provided you an example for you to follow right? And the example is you work as part of this community if you can. And so that gets us to the next question. The problem, people are stepping in line. What does that mean? It means they're mooching off of what they're, off of the people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so why are some people doing it? Why are some people mooching? In part, and this is what you probably have heard before if you studied this, some, the the biggest reason that is typically put forth is because they're expecting Jesus to return. And in part, that's true. Right? There are some people who would use that as, as the reason that they aren't working, that they believe that Jesus is coming back any time now, so why would, they, why would they work? But again, the, the people who use that, they miss the point of what Paul was saying, which makes me think that humans being humans, we have all the same kind of trends back then as we do today. We have the same problems, same tendencies. We, they, they, we do now as they did back then. I, I think the biggest problem, the biggest reason why people were mooching was just laziness. Christ coming back soon was more like an easy excuse, in my opinion. Um, it was it was the easy excuse. To say, well, I don't need to work. Jesus is coming back soon. But you still had people working. You had people earning. You had people working with their hands, providing for themselves and providing for those who can't. How could somebody who who could work look at that? Walk up to somebody who is working and put their hand out, like. Even though they could go earn their own money. why? What justification do they have for that? Even if Christ is coming back next week, until then, you got to eat. You got to have a roof over your head. You got to pay your taxes. Like, you have to work up to that point. You have to be able to provide. And between now and then, those people who can't work, the invalids, the, the, the people who are suffering, the people who are weak, the people who are hurt, injured, whatever, those people got to eat. They got to have a roof over their heads. Who's going to provide for them? There's never a reason not to work other than laziness. So that's, that's what I think the problem here is, is that people are just lazy. They see an opportunity to be lazy and they take it. Same as they do today. We have welfare systems today that people who could work don't. I'm not saying that welfare systems are entirely bad. There are people out there who can't work and need the help, need the assistance. Just to get a little personal, I think it's, it's a lot more effective if we as people, individuals, take care of each other instead of relying on the government to do it. But, you know, whatever, float floats your boat. But the, regardless, if you see a system where people are being provided for, I mean, people are going to take advantage of it. And it's our job to make sure we protect both the people who would miss out because resources are being used by people who shouldn't be using them. And we should be protecting our, our those funds as good stewards of them right? It's our job. God gives us the ability to work. God gives us the ability to earn. It's our job to be good stewards of that and make sure that where we spend it, how we spend it, how we use it is for the most good, right? And so we have this situation back then, as we do nowadays, people are mooching off of the church doing what it's supposed to be doing. How do we deal with it? What's the solution? Well, Paul says, have nothing to do with them. If you take that at place value and you say that and you don't read the rest of the context like you do a google search how do i deal with somebody who's, who's being a mooch and you come up with that verse right there and you don't read the rest of the verses around it you are going to have a bad bad situation on your hands you're going to cause severe damage emotionally spiritually and you're going to give the church a black eye that that really honestly it still hasn't come from because the church has had this black eye for a long time Shunning is is typically thought of as we just don't have anything to do with them We cut them off. We're not allowed to have any communication with them You know, you see them at the street on the at the grocery store. You walk away. You don't go where they go That's not what Paul says here Now it's implied that Paul is assuming before we get to the shunning part that you have done everything Jesus told us to do right because Paul Is only teaching what Jesus taught him. That's what Paul's letters are. That's what all the apostles' letters are. That is, they are teaching what Jesus has taught them, either what Jesus taught in his lifetime or after, as Jesus has continued to minister them. We know that Paul saw the risen Christ after his resurrection and ascension. Like, they're teaching what Jesus has taught them. And Jesus taught in Matthew 18 specifically how to deal with somebody who's sinning against you, mooching being a sin against you. It's somebody, you know, abusing the resources of the church. It's lying, basically. You're saying you can't work, but you can. Right? That's a sin. It's a lie. So how do we deal with somebody who's sinning against this? Well, Matthew 18 spells it out pretty black and white. You go and you talk to them. It's incredible how many problems would be done with if you just went and talked it out. But a lot of times we don't. If that doesn't work, you go and talk to them one-on-one. You go and you bring one or two more people with them to talk with them. If they still refuse to change it, you bring it before the elders in the church, and if they still don't do it then you get to what Paul says you shun. So Paul is implying that hey you should be following these steps. Go talk to them, go bring more people to talk to them, go bring them before the elders, bring them bring them before the church and if they still refuse to change, still refuse to fix their way, well you shun them. But that's not but how you shun them matters because it's the the difference between an abusive parent and a loving parent. Right? every kid does things that need, they need punished for every child I have a 4 year old and a 1 year old and right now the 4 year old is having to learn some lessons you know, about respect and about loving uh, your parents and about you know, doing things that your parents tell you to do he's having to learn that because he's a child and it's my job as his father to teach him those things to make him a good person that's my job, that's my role I love him and I want him to do that I don't like punishing my kid I don't. I mean, that's just bottom line. I don't, I don't get any joy out of it. I, I don't sleep well after I have to punish him because I love my kid. I don't want to see him upset. I don't want to see him cry. I love my kid that much, but it'd be abusive of me if I don't teach him right from wrong. If I don't teach him how to be a good person, that would be abuse in my mind. Like that you, you can't do that as a parent. You have to teach your kids how to be good people. All right. But you do it out of love. You don't do it out of anger. You don't do it out of rage. You don't do it out of frustration. Even though you might be feeling all those things, those aren't the motivation. The motivation is love and wanting your kid to be the best person that they can be. Well, that's, that's what Paul is talking about. When we deal with people who are mooching, or any other sin for that matter, if they get to that last step of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 18, well, we, we shun them, we punish them with the intention of them being fixed with the intention of them seeing the error of their ways, we do it out of love. And so that doesn't mean you completely ignore them. If you want to get specific with what Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said that you treat them as a Gentile or pagan. The Jewish people wouldn't just ignore Gentiles and pagans. Like, they still would talk to them, but they treated them as outsiders. Does that make sense? Like, if somebody has decided to point-blank refuse to to obey what Jesus has taught— you know, that's one part of the Great Commission. The last thing Jesus said before he ascended was, you know, teach them to obey what I have taught you. If they flat out refuse to do that, well, then you treat them as an outsider because they're living as an outsider. They're living as somebody outside of what the community says is acceptable. That doesn't mean you ignore them. That doesn't mean you, you take their phone number out of your phone. That doesn't mean you, you know, unfriend them on Facebook or whatever. Like, it means you say, hey, we love you. You can even still go to church with us, but you're not part of us right now. You're not one of the member of the family because you're choosing to live in a way that goes against what Christ taught us. The purpose is love. The purpose is restoration, not punishment. Right? Discipline is never supposed to be about the discipline. It is always supposed to be about the solution, about making the person see the error of the ways, or making the person a better person. That is the point of it. It's never done and in, in pun. It's never done out of anger. It's never done out of hate or wanting to get rid of somebody. It's not a, not a revenge thing. It's not a vengeance thing. It's a love thing. And if you do it for any other reason besides that, well, then you're gonna do real, real damage. Um, do really, yeah. I mean, so. That is where we finish up with a big problem. Um, The end of the letter is really just Paul saying, I'm signing this part with my own hand. Paul, like most leadership back then, um, Usually used a secretary or somebody to write down as they spoke it. You know, it was dictated, not written. Um, mm-hmm. What we're referring at the very end here is that Paul picked up the pen and signed it by himself. He said, He wrote this line, I, Paul, I'm sending you this greeting with my own hand. Like he's he's writing it at the end as a secretary, whoever, Silas or or Timothy, whoever's writing it down, you know, he picked up the pen for the last part. He signed it himself. Um, and so, really, that's all that means at the end. Um, and that brings us to the end of Thessalonians. woo we did it. We went through these two letters It took us 15 weeks. Um, but it's been an awesome ride. I hope this has been helpful and beneficial to you. As always, come back next week. and want to start 1 John. Um, and yeah, so there's always the next thing to study, the next thing to learn, and hopefully help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions, as always, reach out. Until next time.